Hi, Guy Powell here with the backstory on the Shroud of Turin, and this is going to be a very interesting hot topic. Uh, it's not going to be our usual uh, kind of an interview, but I did want to make sure that we got the word out and the news out about some really cool stuff. I've got uh, Myra Khan Adams, Adams with me, and she is the co-founder and executive director from of signfromgod.org, and that's a ministry dedicated to educating people about the Shroud of Turin. Um, and I'm going to give her a short bio, and then I'm going to ask her the question, what's going on, and then we're going to be off to the races. But other than that, she's written extensively about the Shroud of Turin. She has an amazing Bible study. I've got that, and it's a Bible study for those who don't read the Bible. And uh, I will admit I've read through the Bible, but I don't read the Bible often enough. And so every once in a while, I'll go in there or I get her weekly update on that. And it's uh, absolutely wonderful. And then she has also written a weekly Bible study on uh, that you can find on townhall.com. So with that, Myra, say hello and uh, tell us what is going on. It's, it's an awesome thing. I'm really uh, excited to hear more about it. Well, thank you, Guy. Thank you so much for having me. And I know you have many fans out there that uh, also uh, enjoy all your guests. And I hope I can make everyone's day today by uh, things I have to say. Uh, but the main thing that I want to talk about was uh, what just happened last week. On Thursday, um, my organization, although it is, as you mentioned, signfromgod.org, is our mothership, you could say. And we have another website called National Shroud of Turin Exhibit.org. And that is a project of Sign from God. And what we're trying to do with the National Shroud of Turin Exhibit.org is to have a permanent Shroud of Turin exhibit in Washington, D.C. We believe in the city of museums. There needs to be an exhibit that focuses on what is the world's most studied and analyzed and, and revered and mysterious object called the Shroud of Turin that uh, will not be present at our exhibit when we do get the funds to build it. The Shroud of Turin never moves. It lives in Turin, Italy. It's housed there, uh, hopefully in something very fireproof and bombproof and terrorist-proof, but uh, it does not move. So people always say, oh, is the shroud going to be there? That's always the question we always get. <laughs> no, the shroud will not be there. But a replica of the shroud will be there. But we are trying to raise money right now to build this exhibit. So uh, only God knows when it's going to open. But in the meantime, we are doing several other things. Our organization that I am blessed to lead, including myself, we have 14, we have 14 team members. And if you go to our National Shroud of Turin exhibit.org, and click on the team, you will see that we have a very impressive group of people. I like to think we have some of the greatest shroud experts uh, in the United States, if not the world. So uh, several of, the, of us last week were gathered in Washington. I think some of these folks you actually have had on your, on your show. Uh, we had Russ Brio was with us, and Cheryl, Dr. Cheryl White was with us, and Nora Creech. And, uh, and we had a press conference with a special guest. And what was the purpose of the press conference? His name is David Rolfe, R-O-L-F-E. 
and many people might know him for his very famous film that was uh, produced in 1978, about which he won a British Academy Award for, called Silent Witness. And it was really the first documentary about the Shroud, and David became very well known for that. But anyway, the reason he was at our press conference, we actually brought him over, and the reason he was at our press conference is, I'll try to make this very long story short. In 1988, the British Museum managed the very, very infamous uh, carbon dating. And what they concluded was that the shroud was produced between 1260 and 1390. Immediately, alarm bells went off in, around the world, and particularly among the scientific community, who just could not understand how that was even possible. But uh, over the years, uh, those dates became even more questioned. And they had vi the museum had, had violated every protocol. There are books written about this. You probably had some of the people, you know, Joe Marino especially wrote a book 800 pages long about, about why I've got that book. <laughs> why does, yeah, it's good for door stoppers. And it, you know, it's actually, it's an amazing book. I mean, he's incredible, but there's that much to write about it. It, it was, it was so, it was so horrible what it did to the shroud. It literally took the 1978 STIRP, the STIRP uh, research project. That was really the first comprehensive uh, study of the shroud. And there was, you know, great fanfare when that was announced in 1981. And the famous line was, the shroud is not the product of an artist. So there was all sorts of uh, publicity that the shroud was given in 1981. But then in 1988, after the carbon dating came out, it's a Middle Ages fraud. Okay, goodbye. Have a nice day. <laughs> so ever since then, the shroud has been clawing its way back uh, to try to convince the world that, no, it's not. It is not a Middle Ages forger. Well, anyway, what happened was David Rofe, in, uh, in 2022, he produced a movie called Who Can He Be? And in that movie, he gave a challenge to the British Museum, saying to them, since you say this is a Middle Ages forge, forger that, uh, that produced the Shroud of Turin, since you say that, and you've never taken it back, then why don't you reproduce the shroud using only technology that was available in the Middle Ages? And you reproduce this fraud, and then you know we will give you, and if it in fact um, does have all the criteria that we have established that the, that the shroud does have, then we will pay you a million dollars. David literally has a donor who put up a million dollars for this British Museum Shroud of Turin Challenge. It was called the $1 million challenge. In 1922, I'm sorry, 19, ah, in uh, 2022, it got a lot of publicity uh, because it got a lot of international publicity, especially. So I was over in, but okay, so then nothing happened. Literally nothing happened. And I was over there in London in September. And I asked David about this. And he said, no, they haven't heard from them. They haven't done anything. They just totally ignored it. I said, well, what about if we expand the million dollar challenge to America? And he said, well, I have to ask my donor. So he asked his donor. And sure enough, we announced last Thursday 
right after the National Catholic Prayer Breakfast, we announced the USA $1 million challenge, which is open to anybody that in fact can qualify with the application that we have, uh, which is actually a lot, you have to have certain qualifications to be able to even undertake this. But um, we had a press conference and we had, we've gotten some press. And uh, if you Google Million Dollar Challenge USA, uh, you will see some, some articles come up. Uh, so now we're waiting to see if anyone is taking up us on this challenge. If you go to whocanhebe.com, you will find that there is criteria that, in fact, has to be met. And that criteria, I mean, just reading over that criteria, you realize how intricate and complex the shroud is. And it, it sort of just tells the story that there is no way a Middle Ages forger could have produced something that, it, that can be measured with the actual you know, criteria that will in fact applicants have to, have to qualify. But we, we don't know if anyone's even gonna apply. We hope somebody will or, or some organization or some school will. But at the very least, we put it out there that the shroud is, is really not a Middle Ages. I think it'll be uh, it'll be very interesting if somebody actually does apply and uh, even tries even tries to get you know even a third of the of the way there when you think about how complex that image is the linen is the uh, the blood is the pollen is everything that's on there uh, but even if you just got the image I mean and not that I think anybody will but even if they could you know, figure out something like that as a using, which I thought was really interesting. And, uh, and you can talk more about that, but using Middle Ages technology. Right. Well, more interesting is that using modern technology, they have not been able to replicate the shroud. <laughs> so <laughs> let's try the Middle Ages forger. How did that person do it? So we're going to wait and see how that all works out. In the meantime, we are in fact forging ahead with our goal nationalshotofturnexhibit.org. And we hope to, this will bring attention to what we're trying to do. Uh, we have um, some really exciting events coming up. Uh, in the Catholic world, there is uh, a very big event that's happening of July 17th through the 21st in Indianapolis, Indiana, and is the National Eucharistic Congress. They haven't had one like this since the 70s. So they expect you know, 80,000 or more people to be there. Mm. And we are going to have a shroud exhibit there. In fact, we're going to have it in the convention center uh, next to an exhibit that's, got, that's called Treasures of the Vatican. So they're actually bringing some things from the Vatican Library. Mm. So we are really in that league right next to the Vatican Treasure. So uh, we expect there will be a lot of traffic to come by. And again, it will draw attention to what we're trying to do in Washington, uh, which is not going to be easy. We really need to raise a lot of money. We have to secure the, the space. We want to have, you know, storefront retail space that is you know, street level. Uh, mm. I am of this theory that we want the shroud to be available for everyone to just 
go in and see this exhibit. Someone just, hap just happens to be visiting DC, happens to be in downtown DC, happens to see it because we, we believe that, that we are all about and what we believe is educating people about the shroud. That, that really is our mission. We want mm. people to know about this cloth. And I always say to people, the more you know about it, the more you become a shroudy. <laughs> Yeah. So. And the more and the more deeply you become a shroudy. Now, you said you're not going to have the shroud. It never travels. So uh, what is it that you're going to have? Well, we plan on having the, the first exhibit that we are going to have is in um, July in, Indi in Indianapolis at the National Eucharistic Congress. But for our permanent exhibit and in, in Indianapolis, we will have a full size replica. Uh, in fact, our first mini exhibit that National Shroud of Turin exhibit has put on, uh, it started last March, is ending at the end of February. We have a full life-size replica of the Shroud at the Catholic Information Center in downtown D.C. And we, it opened on um, March 8th, and now it is going to close at the end of February. They, they need to repurpose the room where it's going to be in. So we have had that this whole year. We had four wonderful events that... Uh, was put on, including Father Spitzer. Uh, we had some we had Cheryl White speak. We had the ambassador from the Vatican to the U.S. at one of our events. We had a Supreme Court justice sitting in the front row at one of our events. <laughs> we we had really a wonderful run at the uh, at uh, the Catholic Information Center. So, at our permanent exhibit, uh, we will have a life size replica. The replica that we have at CIC right now. Uh, that will be the one we will most likely display when we have our permanent exhibit. Uh, that was produced in Turin uh, by the Turin Centro. And they are the organization that uh, I would say they, they do the care and feeding of the shroud uh, to keep it uh, safe, to keep it from fading, to just to keep it to keep it from disintegrating because it is it is at a very crucial time right now. It, it's very delicate. So um, they are uh, doing the best they can to uh, to keep it keep it alive. Although uh, it will never it will never die, but it, it will just right. It, the image is apparently fading somewhat. So um, there are some issues with that. But anyway, our replica came from came from Turin. So, so and that replica, I I I think I've seen one that's either very similar to that or the one. Uh, so tell us a, a little bit about that and why that one. Uh, why somebody would want to come and see that because it's uh, I, well I don't want to give it away but I found it is absolutely absolutely astounding uh, what what's on there yes I, I I think you might be confusing the replica that we have with the replica that they have in Houston is that that was at Nora Creech's event that she helped produce at the national yeah Museum I've seen uh, yeah both both of them that one yeah. there as well as the one that was right. in DC with the uh, museum Okay, the one that was on display at the museum uh, is not the one that we have at, at the Catholic Information okay. Center. The Museum of the Bible was given two replicas from the authorities in Turin. One of them was printed on cotton, and one of them was printed on this hand, this loom that was you know, really supposed to be like what they had in the ancient times with flax that was organic. I mean, they did everything they possibly could to produce a replica. And there's only, a, my understanding, there's only seven of them in the world. Mm. Uh, one of them is at the National Museum of Funeral History uh, in Houston. And the Museum of the Bible has one, but it's 
it was on display, but it is not on display uh, since that museum. So that exhibit ended in July of 2022. Their replica has not been on display. But the Museum of the Bible had another replica, and it looks just like the linen replica, only it was produced on cotton, and it was given to the museum. And they loaned mm -hmm. it to my group. They loaned it to us when we opened at the Catholic Information Center last March. And so, and then we ended up buying it from them. So that's really our first acquisition, uh, unless you were an expert with a magnifying glass, uh, you would not know that it was cotton or linen. You really wouldn't be able to tell the difference that much. But uh, of course, the, the shroud experts can tell the difference. Yeah. Uh, so that's the one that we own, and we actually bought it from the museum. We had a donor that uh, gave us the money, uh, Greer and Roger Kentworthy that uh, have a company called Abba Oil. They make Christian products and they have they have produced a, a fragrance that's called the Holy Shroud Fragrance. And uh, they are the ones that, uh, that actually gave us the money to buy the, uh, the replica from the museum. So that's our first, our first acquisition. And there will be many more. I mean, many of the things we hope to do are going to be, uh, you know, high tech. Uh, there will mm. be a lot of interactivity um, you could literally produce a museum and do nothing but have, um, you know, kiosks and virtual reality. And, and uh, there's so much you can do with that. But and then, but we will have some real live things also, uh, too. We'll have some artifacts as well. Yeah, fantastic. Well, that, that is so good that you uh, you now have uh, have the a, a replica. And um, and it, it, it is uh, just so impressive to uh, to even be in front of the replica. Uh, let alone at some point, hopefully in the future, uh, where we can actually go visit the real one in in uh, in Turin. And yet, what you're planning on doing with the uh, National Shroud of Turin exhibit is to uh, bring the shroud and the value and the and the and the importance of the shroud to uh, to the U.S. and then to Washington D.C., where where that's such an important uh, place for all of us. I'm gonna tell you a really quick little funny story when. Uh... The opening day in March 8th last year, when we had our replica on display at the Catholic Information Center for the first time, I happened to be there. And somebody walks in. I said, it's an open storefront. They sell books and they have masks there. Somebody walks in and he's looking at the shroud. He's like staring at it. It's like trying to figure out what that was because it's 14 <laughs> feet long. And yeah. if you don't know what it is, if you've never heard of it, you know, you're like, what is that? So I said to him, do you know what that is? He says, no, I thought just figured it was some kind of art. So I explained you know, what it was. Okay, so then a few minutes later, another gentleman walks in and he's like looking at it. And I said, what do you think? He goes, I have no words. <laughs> he was so blown away by it. But I thought that was interesting within, within like 15 minutes of when the shroud was first hung on the wall at the Catholic Information Center, we had this gentleman representing probably the majority of people who don't know anything and have no idea what they're looking at to the person who is out of words. He's just so blown away by what he's seeing. So we have a lot of work to do <laughs> to bridge yes. the gap between that gentleman and that gentleman. So but I love that story because it, it just encapsulates what, you know, what we're trying to do and, and how much work there is to do. Uh, to to really educate people about this amazing miraculous cloth that that still exists the fact it still exists is in fact a mystery 
Well, and anything, uh, especially cloth, but anything that's 2,000 years old, for it to exist, you, you would think of mummies and the wrappings on mummies. And and then this uh, is, uh, uh, you know, the wrapping, the, the authentic burial cloth, or at least believed by many of us to be the authentic burial cloth of Jesus Christ. And it's not just a cloth. It has an image on there. Somehow that image is on there. And uh, and then now with, you know, the modern social media and all of the news and everything for David Rolfe and now you as well to add on to, to uh, promote this challenge to to see if anybody can replicate that image using, of course, medieval technology, not using modern lasers and whatever and but printers. They can't and do it with modern lasers. I yeah. Mean, they can't. I mean, that's what's that's the greatest mystery. They cannot replicate it. I mean, they've tried, but uh, there's been a lot of attempts. But you know how intricate the shroud is, you know, blood first, image second. You know, I've read accounts of people trying to reproduce the shroud and, and then they paint the blood on later. It's like, no, you the blood was first. Yeah, there's, there's no image where the blood is. So that it just follows the timeline of um, of the passion and what happened on Good Friday versus what happened on on Sunday, blood first, image second. Yep, yep, exactly. And, uh, you know, and that it replicates uh, almost exactly everything that you find in the Gospels. And uh, the all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, their description of what happened on from the Last Supper to the, uh, to the resurrection, all of the pieces that went into that are all encompassed in the in the shroud of Tur in the shroud of Turin. That's right. It's a mirror of the gospel, and uh, you really do see, um, you know, with your own eyes, in the most painful, uh, just in the most torturous, um, most torturous, torturous event that Jesus had to undergo. Uh, particularly when you look at the the uh, the positive image the photo negative positive image uh that's in black and white and you really see how many scourge marks are on there i think there's over 100 scourge marks um, you can really see the suffering and mel gibson's movie the passion which came out in uh, i think it was 1984 i think it came out when did it came out you know? Yeah, I, I think it was uh, maybe was a little later, but... Uh, no, it, it wasn't it's, 84. No, no, it was later yeah. than that. What, I maybe 2004 or something like that. 2004. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. You're right, 2004. Yeah. Um, you know, supposedly, and this makes sense, uh, the flogging scenes were modeled after the shroud. And in the first director's cut that came out, people couldn't even watch it. It was so horrific. And Mel Gibson had to go back and re-edit that that part because people just couldn't stand it. Uh, but that <laughs> that's what Jesus endured. Uh, and when you look at that, you just you just can't even yeah. believe you know what what he did for us. I I believe he did that for us. Yeah, yeah. He paid, he paid the price for us. He did. He uh, and and what an awful price! Not only not only the flogging, like you're saying, being scourged with with a whip over a hundred times by from two different men from both sides and all over the back of his body and even in the front of his body. And, um, and then after they're done, then he has to hang on the cross with, uh, with nails through his wrists and through his feet. And, uh, 
it's yeah, uh it is amazing the price that he paid for us is just uh is is astounding you know one of the things that personal pet peeve of mine is i understand why it's done like this but it still bothers me when you go to church uh and you see uh you see jesus on the cross uh his wounds are are so minimal maybe he has a spear on the side and you know, usually the nails are through his palm which in fact isn't correct anyway you know they were right at the end right there not in the palm so you see a representation of him and because it is so minimal um his sufferings are so minimal uh, on his body obviously he's hanging from a cross so that's something but the minute but the body mm. itself is just not is a, it's just not marked like it is on the shroud so when people see the shroud that explains to people i show them all the scourge marks and they're like wow i mean they can't even believe that he's covered every inch of him is covered with with a with a scourge mark and people are just kind of blown away by that because they don't really see that unless you really know about the shroud you really don't know that you hear you know he was scourged but you don't you don't really right, understand right. the full impact of it uh when you see your typical church cross so but there is the root the re uh, reaching crucifix has um has in fact all the markings mm. Yeah, there's a uh, you're you're so right about that. The other the other thing I think is kind of interesting, and we're kind of getting off topic, but is when you as a Christian when you think about you know, Jesus and the resurrection, quite often that's portrayed as the empty crosses. So you have three crosses. You've got one in the middle that might be a little bit higher, mm -hmm. and you think about the empty cross and Jesus then rose from the dead. But in reality, uh, for me anyway. Uh, it really should be the empty tomb. The, th the empty crosses are kind of the first stage of really where the resurrection was, which is the defining moment of the, uh, you know, of, of all of Christianity. And it's that point, the empty tomb that really defines all of, you know, all of our, our religion. And it's that that should be depicted, I think, even more so than the three empty crosses. That is very true, uh, but you know you just can't change things. If we rule yeah. the world, things would be different. You know? Well, if everybody would now uh, come to the National Shroud of Turin exhibit, uh, well, once actually, it's open, it yeah, it, we have, we yeah. Have well, to... well, I was gonna once it's open, but uh, before they, good point. Before they do that, uh, so how could they help you? How could they uh, support well, you and the organization? Thank you. You could go to nationalshroudofturinexhibit.org. And um, you can donate. And uh, we also hope to have um, some interesting fundraising um, strategies coming up soon. Our business plan is also available. Um, so you can uh, contact me and uh, basically just help us do what we really do believe needs to be done. Uh, a permanent shot exhibit in, mm. the, in the city of museums. And you think <laughs> about the impact that this exhibit will have because in DC you have so many people visiting from the nation and the world. So the the ripple effect that this exhibit could have on on mankind, and I'm not really exaggerating when I say this, uh, it, it just it could be just tremendous. So I'm just going to leave it in the Lord's hands. He knows what we're trying to do. And uh, I have no doubt that uh, we're going to find some 
major donors that are going to come forth and say, we want to help you do this uh, because we have the most amazing team. And mm. um, all we need is, um, you know, quite, a, I would say a lot, a lot of money, but enough money that uh, it, it uh, you know, we can't just pay for it ourselves. So, yeah, no, uh, we absolutely. Need, we need, you know, at least, well, at least a million probably to begin with to, we have to secure a space and that yeah, is, uh, yeah. And, and that unfortunately is a big thing. And that's expensive yeah, yeah. In Washington, and that is definitely the first thing. And and uh, and certainly in Washington D.C., the the cost of real estate like that, mm-hmm. where and you will have to be in a nice in an area that's going to have a, access to a lot of traffic and yes. and stuff like that. Yes. Well, it's interesting because my model is actually the Catholic Information Center. Uh, they really do what we want to do, which is to have a storefront on K mm-hmm. Street. And they have mass there. They have put on all sorts of events. They they sell books and all sorts of trinkets, and and they just they do wonderful things there. And but that's the idea. It's not at a church. You can just walk in there, and that's how you know I really perceive the shroud exhibit to be. You just walk in, and you just like those two people that happened to be there that day. I was there. The shroud <laughs> was on display. Both of the people just walked in, just happened to see it. So that's where we that's where we hope to be is in a place that will just not necessarily a religious institution. I want the location to be secular. Yeah. And I want I want the the shroud exhibit to focus on the mystery because the name of the exhibit will be called Shroud of Turin World's Greatest Mystery. So we want to focus on the mysteries uh, because that's what really brings people in. And when people understand the mysteries, then they say, how can this be anything but Jesus Christ? Yeah. How could yeah. it be? Who yeah. else could possibly <laughs> have fulfilled all the all the different markings that are that are on there and in the in the resurrection? Although the, the shroud itself is not proof of resurrection. That is that is sort of a sticking point. But uh the image itself, how did that image get right. there? And right. that, of course, is the is the greatest mystery. How did that image get there? So, well, I've uh, all the I've, other mysteries. I've looked at the challenge that you put forth, and uh, I, I doubt if I can't, I can't imagine that you know the the, it's got the the probability that somebody could figure out a forgery is. Uh, I mean, I think it's zero. I guess is the probability, uh, just because I believe the shroud is truly the uh, the authentic burial cloth of jesus christ but uh be interesting to see if you get any takers and uh and then to see what they actually come up with and then um uh what a great way to uh introduce people to the concept of actually having a shroud of turin museum the national shroud of turin exhibit and some way for all of us, whether we're believers in the shroud, believers in Christ, or come from another country or come from the U.S., and find out more about this amazing, greatest mystery uh, that exists. Uh, great work, Myra. Anything oh, else you'd like you. to add? Well, I'd just like to say that, thank you for having me, but the shroud has never been more popular. And that's why what we're trying to do um, we're, we're just piling on what is already happening in the United States. It's not happening as much in Great Britain, but it is happening mm. in the United States. There has never been more shows and, and exhibits and articles and books, and including you know your book, 
Um, there's so much going on with the shroud right now. I just think the longer we get away from the carbon dating, um, and there's been so many, so much proof that in fact that is not at all yeah, um, yeah. realistic, including they released the, they actually released the raw data after 29 years, <laughs> and then it was retested and found out to be unreliable. So we just we just know that this is the right time. So anybody who would like to help us make our dream a reality, uh, go to National Shroud of Turin Exhibit dot org, or you could go to signfromgod.org, which is our, our mothership website, but they both go to the same place. And uh, you can donate any amount. Uh, we would really appreciate that. And just pray for us also. Just pray that uh, our mission to build this exhibit uh, will will happen and that the Lord will, will shine on us because we, we just believe that we're doing this exhibit to glorify Jesus Christ. That's that's what we're doing. It's not for any of us. Mm -hmm. It's not for any of our glory. It is to glorify the Lord and Jesus Christ. That's that's what we're doing. Wonderful. Amen Thank to you. That and please pray for and us. Exactly. <laughs> Amen to that. And uh, anything and everything that we all can do to uh, glorify God and and uh, the gift that He gave us with uh, with having His Son here and. And then the price that he paid for us uh, for uh, the redemption of our of our sins. Myra, thank you so much. And oh, uh, to you. the audience, uh, stay tuned. Please stay tuned for other videos in this series of the backstory on the Shroud of Turin. I thought this particular topic was incredibly important and the challenge out there. If you get a chance, definitely go to nationalshroudofturinexhibit.org and find out more about what Myra is trying to do with her challenge and also with this wonderful opportunity to build a an exhibit on the Shroud of Turin. Say Myra, Myra and her team. And her team, exactly, <laughs> her, and her, her team. team. Of, amazing team. It, and it is an amazing team, and I, I know most of them, and they are truly uh, renowned in the Shroud world. Myra, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Guy. Bless you. Absolutely. Thank you.